now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him... I am an absolute surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Here, what I want to do this morning, just kind of quickly summarize some of the things we talked about at our church camp on missions. First of all, we must understand God's heart for missions. God longs for all people to come and worship Him. To know Him, first of all, of course, and then to worship Him. Uh, It begins in the very first chapter of the Bible of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 when God created Adam and Eve and he said, you know, be fruitful, multiply and just cover the earth so that God could have the entire globe filled with people who would worship him and know him. That was his intent. Now, of course, that got disturbed because of the fall. But then God decided to get to a man called Abraham. And here's what God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. He said, Abraham, I will bless you. And through you, all families of the earth will be blessed. Meaning, Abraham, through you, I want to touch every family on the earth. I want to touch the whole world. And what Paul writes to us in the, gospel, in the epistles, Paul says, the gospel was preached to Abraham. See, the gospel... This whole thing about reaching every nation is not God's afterthought. It's not something God came up in the New Testament. It was right there in the beginning. In Genesis 12, when God told Abraham, Abraham, I want to bless the nations through you. That was God giving the gospel to Abraham. Amen. The gospel really, therefore, is God's heart to touch people all across the world. And then when you get into Revelation, Revelation 5, 9 and 10, John having uh, received a revelation of what's going to happen, he sees in Revelation 5, 9 and 10, he says, People redeemed from every tribe and tongue and nation, standing before God, worshipping God. Amen? That's what God wants. He wants to see people. From every tribe and language, every people group, worshipping Him. That's the heart of God. And now Jesus gave us the great commission. He said, go make disciples. In Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He gave us the great commission. And the church has indeed been laboring towards this, but there is still a huge unfinished task before us. Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, This gospel must be preached to all nations, 
the word nations there and in several other places in the New Testament comes from the, from the Greek word ethne, means all people groups. Not referring to nations as in political nations, but people groups. Groups of people who have similar language and culture. This gospel must reach all peoples. Then the end will come. Amen? So that's the unfinished task. This gospel to reach all peoples. Every culture, every group of people, every community that has its own language and culture. This gospel must reach them. And he said, then the end will come. What we learned to the camp was that there is a great imbalance in, in the distribution of people and resources. And I'm not a missiologist. I'm a practitioner. So I don't have all the numbers and the statistics, but it's something like about 80% of, I'm talking about Christendom as a whole, 80% of all resources and people are still focused on what we can call as the evangelized part of the world. Meaning that part of the world that already has access to the message of Jesus Christ. Over 163 nations are considered Christianized nations. Supposed to be established around Christian traditions. Now whether they follow it is different. But they consider it Christianized nations. And about 80% of all that's happening, all the work that's going on, is focused already on these reached or evangelized parts of the world. And only about 20% is towards the real needy people and areas and people groups. Now this is not to discount what's happening Uh, Simply because we understand and realize that even in the evangelist parts of the world, there are millions who do not know Jesus Christ. Like even in our city, there are millions who don't know Jesus. So it doesn't uh, necessarily discount or discredit all the efforts that are being made in cities and in, in the reached evangelist parts of the world. But it only opens our eyes to see that we need to begin to reprioritize what we're doing and begin to put concentrated effort on the areas and regions and parts of our nation and the world that is yet to hear the gospel at least once. If you look at the map of India, and uh, this map, you've seen it before, it's based on the 2001 census of Christians. When you say Christians, it doesn't necessarily mean believers. It means people who call themselves Christians. So all of the nominal Christ- Christians included. Every dot represents about 10,000 Christians. Things could be a little different now, 10 years later. But what we see here is that there's a high concentration or high distribution of Christians in the southern part of our nation and towards the northeast. And so if you draw a line across from somewhere in Mumbai all the way to Darjeeling in the northeast, you'll find that most Christians or populations of Christians live south of that. And there are many states in northern India that have little negligible or in some states no presence of Christians. Now, this is not to say that there are no unbelievers in other parts, the parts of India that are south of the line. There are many, many people that are yet to be reached even in those regions. But we as a church must begin to make a concentrated, purposeful effort towards those parts of our nation that do not even have a single Christian presence or have very negligible Christian work. 
And so the challenge for us as a local church is to engage in both urban and rural missions. We as a church have been, will be, and will increasingly engage in missions, urban and rural missions. Now, you know, one question that might come to your mind is saying, hey, pastor, why do we get into this messy thing called missions? I mean, can't we just be this nice, happy church that meets on Sundays? I mean, yeah, I know there's a little discomfort. We had to use Joseph's Indian High School sometimes and European High School sometimes. But other than that, you know, we're happy. We're fine. We've got good music going. We've been singing Hillsong for a while. We've slowly moved to Martin Smith, Tim Hughes. And now we'll slowly get to Jesus culture, be on the cutting edge of Christian music. And, uh, you know, we've got everything. We, we, got, we watch God TV. We are good Christian people. Don't disturb our comfort. I mean, why get into this missions? I mean, leave it for missions organizations. I mean, let them count the numbers, add a divide and subtract, and let them handle it. Let us be a nice, cute local church. I want you to understand something very important from Scripture. That God's plan for world evangelization is the local church. When Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, 120 of them or so, about maybe 500 of them, left and the 500 just went down to 120, others decided not to be involved. When he left them with the great commission, he did not give them a methodology. He did not give them a strategy. He did not give them a how to do this stuff. He just said, this is what you need to do. You need to go and make disciples of all nations. The only additional thing he gave them was the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power from above. And then you're going to be my witnesses. But I'm not telling you how to do it. And so as we trace, as we walk through the book of Acts, what do we uncover? We understand that the methodology that emerges in the book of Acts is the planting of local churches. Amen? It began with a church in Jerusalem. And from there, believers were dispersed through other parts of the region. They went and they formed communities of believers. Churches were planted. And from those churches again, people went out and planted more churches. So God's strategy for world evangelization, the primary methodology, if you will, is the local church. So every local church is responsible, has been mandated to carry out the Great Commission. Amen? So that responsibility is on you and me. The call to missions is there for you and me as part of a local church. We have to do it. So just to quickly review some of the things that we are doing, we will be doing towards urban missions, which is missions towards cities. And then we'll talk about rural missions, which is missions out to rural areas in our nation. Urban missions, missions to our own city. What are we doing as a church? What will we get into in the coming months and years? Some of the things that we are doing that's, that's, that has been going on, of course, when it comes to youth, our Elevate Youth Service has now been opened up into, to reach the schools and colleges in our city. That's a mission. That's missions. We are reaching many people. Now, I don't know exactly, but it seems like many people who are coming to Elevate our people do not know Jesus yet. It's a great opportunity for us. Schools and colleges are opening up and are willing to send their students to Elevate. 
And that's great. It's our missions to reaching young people. We have our publications that go out that are distributed all across our city and in many cities of our nation. We have our TV telecast that goes out to people, again, in many cities across our nation. We've been doing all of this. And more recently, our community outreach reaching out into slums in our city. Mr. Chandra is heading that up and we begin to work with, again, we're doing this in partnership with, our, with other churches that are already involved in the work in the slums and working with them. And, and one particular area there, that church that we are partnering with has seen increased people attending their church. I don't know the exact count, but just as we launched a community center in the slum, that church working there has seen an immense growth right here in Bangalore. They're not coming to APC and they may not fit here because they may not understand uh, preaching in English and all that. But indirectly, we are influencing missions in the slums in our city. Some of the things that we're planning to do, which will be emerging in the coming months as urban missions to our city itself, is uh, the setting up of a counseling center, which probably will be the next thing that we, we will be doing. Where we will have our counselors, people from our church, who will work there, part-time or full-time, counselors, trained counselors. And we'll provide counseling service to a wide range of needs in our city, right from kids to teen, teenage problems, and to young adults, 20-year-olds, kids in schools and colleges, addressing their needs to uh, professional counseling or career counseling and, and premarital counseling, marriage counseling, career guidance, whatever we can do, provided as a service to the city and in the process, bring souls into the kingdom. Who's going to do it? Your neighbor. And you. Amen? We want trained counselors from our church to work there and reach out. Amen? And all our believers who need counseling can also go there. But the focus here is for the city. We'll connect it to what we're doing in schools, our catalyst. Forgot to mention catalyst, which is again something that goes on every week, reaching schools in our city. We'll connect it to that so that the schools will know there's a counseling center that they can send and refer their children to. And even the children's parents too. Amen? And for a long time we wanted to set up Victory Center. Which is just a, a de-addiction or rehab center. I spoke about it maybe five, six years ago. And, and slowly we're getting closer to it. Where we'll be able to provide this as a service to uh, young people in our city. Young men and women in our city. Who need rehab in, in various areas. Whether it's from addictions, addiction problems or just being in situations where they've been abused and battered. We call it Victory Center. They can come there and, and just be rebuilt, delivered, set free, rebuilt, restored in life and released back into the community. But they come out as transformed people. Who's going to do it? Your neighbor and you. Amen? All the stuff that we've been learning about who we are in Christ and transforming, renewing the mind and all of that. We've got to take it into our victory center and teach it to the people so that their lives can be affected. Amen? So these are things we've been talking about as far as urban missions. Another great, another major initiative. I wanted to do it this year, but we probably have to wait till next year. Is the marketplace, workplace ministry. Majority of us sitting here today are in the marketplace. That's our mission field. And so we want to equip and empower people, our our professionals, to become missionaries in the marketplace. Touching lives in the marketplace. Amen? 
And how are we going to reach other cities? Now, we have our TV telecasts and our publications going. But another great thing that, that's been on my heart very long is to send all of you away to other cities. So now, how will that work? Maybe you get relocated because of your job. Or some you do on purpose. You say, I will go to Chandigarh. I will go to you know, some other city that's not too bad, but that needs Jesus. And you go and raise up a church. But you say, Pastor, you know, I'm not... I've never been to Bible college. Do you know that in the book of Acts, unnamed believers, empowered by the Holy Ghost, were the ones who planted most of the churches. Not the apostles. The guys who left Jerusalem and went around to Samaria and other places in Asia Minor were not apostles. They were unnamed believers. The church in Antioch was started by unnamed believers. We don't even know their names. But that the church in Antioch became a powerful missions base through which the apostle Paul was launched into missions. Who started that church? Unnamed believers. Amen. That's why I'm looking forward for the day when people like you sitting in the congregation who are professionals, who have been sitting in church, who have been equipped Sunday after Sunday with the Word of God, with the anointing of God, one day God will stir up your nest and relocate your nest to some other city in our nation or in the world, somewhere in the world, where you will go and raise up a church. Places like Baghdad. and Other parts of the Middle East where... We need people to raise up churches. Amen. And I'm supposed to think of New York or San Francisco. They've got enough. And you look at cities where we really need people to raise up the churches. Amen. And rural missions, what are we doing? What will we be doing? One of the major things that we've been doing the last five or six years is our Bible college where we bring in students primarily from rural settings or some semi-urban settings. Bring them in here, train them for two years and send them back to their own towns, own villages. So we've got some of our Bible college graduates working in villages in our nation. We've got them working in small towns in our nation, doing work, but they were trained here. You invested into their lives. And they're now in different parts of our nation serving God, raising up churches. And we want to increase that. We want to bring in more, increase our capacity to train up more people and send them out to villages in smaller towns where you and I may not necessarily go, uh, whose cultures we may not fit into, whose languages we may not speak. But these students, they come here, they learn, and they go back to their places and are able to do a good work. And we back them up 100%. Our publications are also being translated in other languages. Hindi, Nepali, Telugu, Kannada, and some others. And are being sent out to all these places. Where people can read it in their own languages and be equipped and serve God. And, and that's again another thing that we are doing as a church to reach into rural India. And we'll continue to do that and continue to look at more languages. One of the n- new things that we will be getting into to reach rural parts of our nation, is to partner with other mission, other organizations. Primarily beginning with EHA, with Emmanuel Hospital Association. So we talked about this in the church camp. I want to present it here again so that all of us understand what we're going to be doing in the coming months. And uh, you can begin to engage. The Emmanuel Hospital Association was formed somewhere in the 1970s. It's really a community of Christian institutions, primarily medical institutions across northern part and northeast part of India. 
What originally happened was missionaries who came into our nation in the 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s, who set up medical hospitals in rural India to reach tribals, to reach the villages, to reach communities that are away from urban centers. They established medical colleges. But in the 1900s, the latter part of the 1900s, they had to leave. And they handed over the responsibility of these medical hospitals across India to the local leadership. And around that time, Emmanuel Hospital Association was formed to continue providing oversight and governance to these hospitals that are spread over to be one of the sources to receive funding from overseas from these mission organizations in the U.S. and uh, in Europe and continue supporting these hospitals. So right now, and they're focused primarily on rural India, poor parts of India. They treat about 500,000 patients every year. They have about 1,500 staff, about 156 doctors. You can get more information about them from their website. But here's how they are distributed. If you will look at the map of India, EHA has about 20 mission hospitals and about 46 projects covering 14 states, primarily northern part and northeast part of India. These 46 projects are humanitarian type of projects, community development type of projects. Some of them are alongside these 20 hospitals. Some of them work without a hospital backbone. But they're scattered across these places in North India. Now, we've been in discussions with the leadership of EHA and We've identified four areas where we as a church can engage in partnership with EHA. And they're listed in the order of priority where we want to lay our emphasis. The first one is in the discipleship of hospital personnel. What EHA shared with us is that in many of these hospital locations across India, they do not necessarily have a good church community that nurtures them spiritually. So they don't have the spiritual input that they would like to have on an ongoing basis. And so many of the medical personnel, doctors and nurses and staff in the hospitals who work there, would be blessed having spiritual input into their lives. So we as a church, we enjoy great worship, we hear the word of God, uh, we have all kinds of things for us. If we can go there and... uh, over weekends, when they are relatively free, hold discipleship events, weekend seminars, teaching the Word of God, refresh them in the Spirit, bring the Word of God that will address different needs in their lives. There are a lot of young people growing up in these mission hospitals, the sons, of the, sons and the children of the, uh, of the medical personnel who would like to be taught on all the kind of things we're talking at Elevate. They would enjoy that and we could go and deliver it to them and over a weekend bless them. So we as teams going out from here can go and serve them over weekends or holidays and bless them with the time of worship and refreshing in the Lord and, and growth in their spirit. They also have six nursing colleges. And one of the things we, we can engage in is in the nursing colleges deliver programs that, that, uh, that show and empower the nurses on missions so that they do their job in the hospitals, not just as a medical profession, but are able to integrate faith into what they're doing so that both doctors and nurses bring a holistic ministry to their patients treating spirit soul and body this is some area this is an area that we can help that'll be a major number one area that we want to work on the second area is in 
professional training. Many of you sitting here are professionals. You're in the business world. You, you're engaged in systems and processes day in and day out. And these hospitals established 100 plus years ago can benefit from getting your input on how to improve various processes and systems in them, within them. How can they improve their accounting, their HR processes? How can they improve uh, inventory and stock management? How can they improve customer relationships? How can, how can we enrich the, the personnel development, interpersonal skills and whatever, just to make the hospital a better place, a better facility? Some of you can go there and deliver that over a weekend when they are relatively free. What EHA has also offered uh, for us is to have this training at a regional level. They have five regions. And so instead of us going to every location, they can bring them at a regional level where training can be done and they can take it back to their locations. Makes it a little easier for us. They also have five English schools as part of the hospitals. So for those of you who are in education, you could go there and teach the teachers how to improve what they're delivering to their students. Amen? A third area which we, again, are very, very interested in is church planting. Meaning many of these hospital locations in North and Northeast India do not have a good church. Maybe there are some old churches that are maybe deprecated, functional only in namesake or whatever, not really catering to the hospital community and not reaching out to the community. All these hospitals, remember, were planted in order to reach people for Jesus Christ. That's why the missionaries did it. They didn't do it to generate money. Amen? So we need to step into their vision and say, let's plant strong churches that can reach their community and also cater to the hospital staff. Amen? But to plant local churches, we need people who will live there. Amen? So we hope that many of the students who come to our Bible colleges, we can train them. And after training them, we can send them to these areas. Or bring people from there, train them and send them back. Or the third option is send you there. Amen? But some of us may be called by God. Maybe you go there once to deliver a professional training. And something happens in you. You begin to love that place. And you feel a pull towards that place. You know what to do next. Come and tell me. Pastor, I'm ready to go. Amen? It might happen. This is dangerous. But pastor, you don't understand. I have a car loan. A house loan. I've got an education loan. I'm still repaying. How can I go there? I don't know. You pray. God will figure a way out. Amen. We'll back you up 100%. We'll get you your plane ticket. Move all your stuff there. And take care of you as a church. Amen. But we need people there. If William Carey could leave England and come and live in Kolkata, I don't think it's a great deal if God was called one of you and me to go and live in one of these Not so nice places in our own nation. Not a big deal. Amen. Sergeant George was talking to us about Rajasthan. I almost wanted to relocate. I'm still here. 
talking to us about Rajasthan, there's hardly any Christian work in that part of our nation. Somebody needs to go. Amen? It excites me. I wish I could be in every place all the time. But it's not practical. And that's why we need people who are willing to go. So church planting is our third focus. And number four, humanitarian projects. We will not get into it right now. It's something down the road because they already have a lot of work going on, a lot of specialized people. Uh, but that's something to think about later on. But the first three is where we will begin to focus and, and, and begin to start working with the EHA. They've given us two locations to begin with. One is in Madhya Pradesh, the Chhatrapur Christian Hospital, founded in uh, 1930. There, it's a 100-bed uh, full-service hospital. It has all these uh, facilities they provide to people there. And uh, outside, that's one location we're going to start working with. Another location they've given to us is the Champa Christian Hospital, started in 1926. It is in the tribal area in Chhattisgarh. It's a 50-bed hospital having all of these services catering to that region. What they have pre-informed us is that the hospital in Madhya Pradesh, Chhatrapur, is an easier location. Champa is a more difficult location right among the tribals. And we're going to begin with these two locations. I will do an initial scouting trip, just get to know the people, get information, come back. Then we will strategize, plan, and keep the church informed, and you will go. Amen? It's not the pastoral team going. We may go with you, but it's you going, doing the work in these places. All of us must be involved. I just want to repeat what we've said earlier. You know, the early church understood that God's plan for world evangelization was the local church, meaning communities of believers who are willing to reach out. That's God's strategy. It means you. You are God's strategy. And as I said earlier, God used ordinary believers empowered by the Holy Spirit to plant churches. It wasn't big names. It was ordinary believers empowered by the Holy Spirit who planted local churches. Amen? You. God is waiting to use you. We have your Bible. Please turn with me to Judges chapter 5. Just want to share a few thoughts here. The book of Judges spans about a 400 year period from the time of Joshua, from the time Joshua left, all the way to the time of King Saul, who was the first king of Israel. After Moses and Joshua were very great leaders in Israel, we do not see any other strong leaders emerging. Or that 400 year period. But what we see are judges, men and a lady who were empowered by the Holy Spirit, who took care of the civil order of Israel, provided civil governance primarily for the people during that time. And Samuel, if you'll remember, was the last judge, who also was a great prophet. And that led into the kings. Saul became the first king. Now among all these judges who governed Israel during that 400 year period, there was one lady whose name was Deborah. She was empowered by the Holy Spirit at that time. And she issued a call through a man named Barak saying, come let's go and overthrow the enemy. And so some of the tribes came together They went out to battle under the leadership of Barak and God used another lady to lay the finishing stroke 
to victory in battle. Interesting. Upsets some of our theology that God would use a lady. That's what he did. He used the lady to issue the call to battle Deborah and he used the lady to seal the victory in battle. And so now in chapter 5, we begin reading their celebration song. They are celebrating the victory that they have gained over the enemy. Here's how they begin in, in Judges chapter 5 verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Bless God. Now how do they begin their victory song? They say, when leaders lead, bless God. I want to emphasize here this morning, the need for leaders. Amen. We need leaders in the house of God. Unfortunately, many of us have this false sense of spiritual humility. Saying, I don't want to be a leader. Just give it to others. I will just be an ordinary member. I'll just be a humble little person. Come on, wake up. When men and women rise up to be leaders, it's celebration time. Bless the Lord for men and women who will rise up to lead. Leadership is not some status that you have in the house of God. Leadership is not some magnified, glorified position among the people. Leadership is simply you willing to carry more responsibility, work harder than someone else. Amen. So why do we celebrate people willing to take leadership? Because they are saying, I'm not interested in position. I'm not interested in status. I am just willing to carry the load. That's what a leader is. Amen. So I want to encourage you. Rise up to be leaders. Take up responsibility. Say, I will lead the counseling center. I will lead the de-addiction center. I will lead the outreach to colleges. I will lead the work in Champa. I'm willing to take on responsibility to Chhatrapur. Meaning, not that you're going to be, you know, Chhatrapur missions director. No. It means... You will carry the responsibility of that whole work. Amen. A title doesn't mean anything. It's what you do that matters. So we need leaders. People willing to carry responsibility. Get rid of this false sense of humility saying, I don't want leadership. Listen. Be a leader. Take on some responsibility in the house of God. Amen. And the second thing they celebrate is when people offer themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. I mean, it's just so great to have people who willingly give. You know, I'm just so blessed by these people who serve so willingly. You know, people who set up this place, just coming in this morning. I was so thankful. I said, God, they make life so easy for me. I can walk in here and just focus on coming and delivering the word. I don't have to worry if the mic is put in, cables are there, this, that. All those days are gone. Hallelujah. It's like Joseph. God has caused me to forget. My labor and toil. But I remember the first three years. We did everything. Shut up the sound. Georgie was there. 
carry those heavy speakers, set it up, wire everything, then start preaching, say bye to everybody, then tie up everything, take it back home. We did that for three years. But thank God, He causes us to forget our labor and toil. <laughs> Somebody else is doing it now. But you know, it's such a blessing to have this army of volunteers to do all this. Amen. Such a blessing. When people offer themselves willingly, people come clean the hall, set the chairs, do the book table, be greeters, serve tea, coffee, whatever. They do it willingly. It's such a blessing. It's time to bless the Lord for such people. Amen. And people offer themselves willingly for the house of God. Unfortunately, the rest of the tribes were not like that. If you go down to verse 15 of chapter 5 of Judges, we look at a couple of tribes and how they responded to the call, to this mission of fighting a common enemy. Verse 15 says, The sons of Issachar, the princes of Issachar, were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. So here's a tribe of Issachar, one of the twelve tribes. It says, they were with Deborah. When the call came from Deborah saying, let's go to Chatrapur, they answered the call. They were saying, yeah, we'll go. There's one very notable thing about Issachar. The Bible says that this tribe, according to 1 Chronicles 12 and verse 32, were gifted with the ability to know the times and seasons and what Israel ought to do. Meaning they were people who were perceptive of God's moves, of God's seasons. And so when the call came from Deborah, they said, we'll go. They got in. Why? They knew what God was doing. They recognized the times. I wonder if you are a person like one of the tribes of Issachar who recognizes the times. I mean, why would schools and colleges in Bangalore City open up and send their students to elevate? Wake up! Something's happening. Amen. Why would God give us this connection with the EHA and access to all their hospitals? Wake up! Something's happening. Recognize the times. Be one of the people of Issachar. Amen. Some of the tribes didn't respond like that. Verse 15. Continuing. Middle of verse 15. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great results of the heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of the heart. Reuben was another tribe. They heard the call. From Deborah saying, come, let's run to the paddle. What did Reuben do? They had great results. I mean, they made commitments after commitments. On Sunday morning, the entire tribe of Reuben came down to the altar and said, I will go. But it stopped there. They had great results of the heart. And... They had great searchings of the heart, it says. Meaning, they became very introspective and saying, Missions, yes, it's the heart of God. But I have some issues. I've got some struggles. I've got some problems. After I become whole and settle all my issues, then I will step into missions. Hallelujah. See you in heaven. Because heaven is the only place you're going to have it all together. 
Heaven is the only place where you will have no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. As long as you are on this earth, take it for granted. Man is born under trouble. Job said, in this world you will have tribulation, Jesus said. So get used to it. And get used to serving other people out of your brokenness, out of your pain, out of your hurting, out of your needs. Get used to pouring out to people. Don't live in this false expectation that someday you will have it all together and then you will serve God. That someday will only come in heaven. Amen. And think of it like this. That little issue that you have, that little struggle you're going through, that bank loan you need to pay, this, that and the other stuff. What is it compared to the lostness of a human soul? What is it compared to people who are Dying and going to an eternity in hell without God. How big is your problem compared to that? So how long are you going to sit around saying, I need to deal with my issues and become whole? Forget it. Step out. Make yourself available. Because the glory of God is revealed through broken vessels. Paul put it like this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, valuable vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. So what are you waiting for? To get your life together. Listen, that day will never come. Amen. You'll always have challenges. You'll always have struggles. Your boss may always be nasty to you. Your promotions may never come or come or never come. I don't know. There will always be these struggles. But don't sit around waiting. That's what Reuben did. He had great resolutions. And then he went into great searchings. You know, I don't know what they were searching or discussing. My naughty mind imagines that they were discussing, is Deborah of God or not? Because God anointed Moses and he anointed Joshua. They were both men. Does God anoint a woman? Maybe they entered into some big theological debate, wrote books about it and had seminars on it. Does God use women? I don't know what they were searching. They're great searchings of the heart. But you know, they never went into battle. They just sat there among their sheep, piping and listening to the piped music coming in with the sheep. That's all they did. You may have heard me say this before. One single good action is better than a thousand good intentions. Amen. Amen. What else did did the other tribe do? It says here, verse 17, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Now, you know the story when Israel came into the land of Canaan, two two tribes stayed on one side of Jordan. The other ten went over and lived, settled on the other side of the river Jordan. So Gilead was this tribe on one side of Jordan. When the call came across the river, they said, you know, we're safe here. We're comfortable here. I mean, it's your problem. Who told you to cross over and settle the other side? You should have stayed with us here. We're comfortable. It's your fight. It's your battle. You go and fight. They decided to sit in the comfort zone. After all, it was not their problem. And so they did not join the battle. God forbid that you and I would become such a cute church where we get so 
consumed with our own comforts and having great music and great sermons and making each other feel happy and comfortable and we forget a lost and dying world all around us right here in the city and all through our nation. We're not fit to be called a church then. We're probably just a social pick-me-up club that makes each other feel good Sunday after Sunday. Gives you a Sunday morning pickup so that you can last the week. God forbid we become such a church. Amen. Let's get used to some discomfort. And that's what's happening at Elevate. All of a sudden it's no longer what it used to be. And you're having all these people coming in salwar kameez. And then you have all these other kids coming in and some other thing. And hang on a mix and a match of it. It's like what is happening? Hello, it's harvest time. And harvest time isn't always nice. But we're gathering in souls for the kingdom. Amen. Let's get out from the other side of Jordan. The other tribe here was Dan. It says in verse 17, And why did Dan remain on ships? Dan was a business tribe. They did trading on ships. Travel across the seas, trade. So when the call came from Deborah saying, Dan, we need you here. We need you now. We need to get into action together. Dan, come on, Dan. The tribe of Dan said, you know, Deborah, we are busy. I mean, we are businessmen, CEOs, CFOs. You want us to come to Chhatrapur? I mean, Champa. I mean, we are businessmen. We travel in first class. We live in the Sheratons. And you want us to sleep among Tribals? I mean, I am responsible for a hundred million dollar outfit. If I get killed there, what will happen? What will happen? You'll go to heaven, they'll appoint another CFO. Life goes on. What's the big deal? So that was Dan. Trading on the ships and the call came and Dan just remained on the ships. I can just imagine Dan saying, Deborah. In two months, we will close a $300 million deal with the Egyptians. And we promise to send you a tithe of it. We will fund your mission, Deborah. Listen, money is important. But I want you to understand, there's a whole lot that money cannot do. Money cannot embrace another person. Money cannot wipe away the tears from their eyes. Money cannot put bandage on wounds. Money cannot speak love to somebody. Money cannot show them that they are loved and cared. Money cannot do these things. It needs a person in flesh and blood to be there on the ground and show people that Jesus loves them. And money can't do that. Send your money, please. But you need to go. That's the point. Asher continued, this is verse 17, middle of verse 17. Asher continued after the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Asher, fishing folk, they're fishermen. Went out to the sea at night, got the fish, came in, cleaned their nets in the morning, sold the fish in the local market. And they said, and when they heard the call from Deborah, I can only imagine what they responded. They said, hey, what are you telling us, man? We're busy. Night we fish and day we clean our nets and we are preoccupied with all these things. You hear a message on mission Sunday morning. You go to the office Monday. Your boss comes by and 
load you with a pile of work and say, Pastor Ashes, you and your message and mission, forget it. I got enough responsibility here. The cares and the responsibilities of life overweigh you and you become preoccupied with it and forget that there's a world out there that needs the gospel without which they'll go to hell. Asher was like that. Preoccupied with being fishermen on the seaside. Busy with what they were doing day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. Go out to the sea, bring the fish and clean the nets, sell it at the market, go out. Fish a folk, day in, preoccupied. Oh, tell Deborah we're just busy. If we don't do it, what will happen? Asher, God forbid that we are like that. But then there are tribes that responded. Verse 18, Zebulun is a people who jeopardize their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. Zebulun said, I'll go to battle. If it means I have to lose it, lose everything, it's okay for the cause of Christ. I'll go. Naphtali said, I'll be in the thick of it. I'll get into battle. I'll be in the middle of it, as messy as it might be, as challenging as it might be, as difficult as it might be, I'll be in it. I wonder if you and I could be like Issachar, recognize what God's doing. That we could be like Zebulun who would say, I don't mind taking some risks for the gospel. Serving God is never without risk. And if you and I would be like Naphtali, get into the thick of it and say, I want to be where the action is. I wonder if you and I will be like that. Amen. As a church, we're moving in to increased work in missions. Thank God for what He has enabled us to do to, till this day. But there's a huge amount of work ahead of us, both in our city and cities across our nation, and in parts of our nation that don't have much of a Christian presence. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But we must go. The Bible tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah the prophet had a vision. He saw God seated on his throne in his glory. And and after Isaiah recognized his own filthiness, his own sins and his own uncleanness and God dealt with it by his grace God popped a question to Isaiah said Isaiah whom shall I send and who will go for us I wonder if God is looking at your workplace wherever you work and he's wondering he's saying whom shall I send who will go for us to that workplace I wonder if God is looking at the young people in Bangalore, the guys and gals on drugs and bound by alcohol in our city and living promiscuous lives. And I wonder if God's looking at them and saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? For all those young people for whom my heart aches, I want to see them stand before my throne one day, redeemed by my blood. But whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What about the kids in schools and colleges? What about 
homes? What about the government? What about arts and entertainment? What about media? What about the sports? One of God saying, whom shall I send who will go for us? And God scans our country and looks at parts of our nation where there is no presence of believers. And God says, whom shall I send who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Would you, Christian, living in comfortable Bangalore, would you dare pray a prayer like that this morning? Would you dare say, God, here am I, Lord, send me. Anywhere, anytime, any place, I'll go. Would you dare pray that prayer? I'm not saying God's going to tell you to go to Champa or Chhatrapur. He might just point you to your own office. He might point you to your neighborhood. He might point you to the young people in our city. I don't know what he's going to do. But first of all, would you pray a prayer and say, Here am I, send me anywhere, anytime, any place. Lord, I will go. God's counting on you. I want you to take this time just to pray in your own heart, in your own words. Respond to the call to missions. Ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where is my mission field? It might be right here in this city. It might be some other city of the world. It might be some remote part of our nation. I don't know. But you pray and say, God, what's my mission field? And I'm willing to go. And Spirit of God, we just welcome you. Come. You are our missions director. Speak to every heart, young and old, and everyone in between. Speak, oh God. Inspire a vision. Inspire willingness. Inspire reckless abandon to your call. Inspire courage, faith. This morning, come Spirit of God. Father, you've heard our prayer. You've you've seen every heart this morning and what and how we've responded. Now I pray, Father God, that you raise up many leaders in this house. Raise up people who will offer themselves willingly. Raise up people like Issachar who will understand what you're doing and respond to it. Raise up people like Zebulun and Naphtali, God, people who will risk their lives for the cause of Christ. People who will be willing to be in the thick of action for your name's sake. So have your way in us as a people, have your way through us as a church. May our city, may the cities in our nation, and may our nation, Lord, be that much more different. Because of what has happened here this morning. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance on you. And give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. 
you can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.